Hey, beautiful people. Clockwork Nights is supported by listeners like yourself. You can go to patreon.com forward slash clockwork nights and give a donation of your choosing. Podcasts take time, energy, lots of coffee drinking, and of course, money. Whether it's a one-time donation or if you'd like to support this podcast monthly, any financial support is greatly appreciated. Hey, I'm new to this, so I'm still figuring out gifts and tears and all of the Patreon things. So please sign up. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash clockwork nights. All right, let's do the show. What is up, podcast nerds? My name is Clark Wayne, and you are listening to episode three of Clockwork Nights. How are we doing? Oh my gosh, is everyone freaking out still? It's Monday afternoon, and Instagram and Facebook, they're all gone. They're all gone. The drug. Where are my drugs? Are you doing okay? Are you going to survive? A few hours without the social media drug, the dopamines of all the likes and all the ads that you're just so badly missing right now. Going to be all right? I think we're going to be all right. I think we will be A-OK. Hey, Colin Callahan is my guest today, and I am so excited for everyone to hear our conversation. It is a beautiful one. I'm so grateful for that guy. I'm grateful for Colin for many reasons. He has served me so much coffee over the years since moving to Nashville. And wow, what a nice individual. What a nice human. I'm so happy for everyone to hear the things that we talk about today. But for real, how are you doing? How's life? How's your week going? For anyone who knows about how my last week has gone, I am doing decent all things considered, all things considered. So I would like to, first of all, before I go any further, say thank you to any and everyone who has done a kind deed, reached out, said a nice thing to me, left a word of encouragement over the last week. Thank you. Those little things go a long way. And I'm so grateful to have that type of encouragement coming to me during this time. It's kind of like getting a hug, especially when we've been in a pandemic for, you know, the last year and a half and the world is still not where it was and maybe it shouldn't be, but you, you know what I mean. It's, it's just nice to, to have people reach out to you through text, social media, whatever. It just, it's like a little hug, a little pat on the back of like, hey, I'm here for you. I'm good. So keep them coming. And I'll try to do my best to keep them coming for you however I can. You can write to me at clockworknightspodcast at gmail.com. And guess what? I've got my first email to share with everybody today. The email was sent from one Joy Osborne. And it says, hey there, CW. Am I the official first email? Question mark, question mark. Just wanted to say, first time listener, long time fan. 
Love what you're doing, man. Heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji, rock and roll fingers emoji, sunglasses guy emoji. Your number one fan, Joy Janelle. Joy, thank you so much. Yes, you were my first official email. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being my fan. For anyone who doesn't know, Joy is my sister. She's one of my big sisters. Shout out to Joy. Thank you for writing. Feel free to hit me up again, Joy. You know where to find me. You, you, you truly do know where to find me. <laughs> so, true story. Last night, I had recorded this intro. Got some feelings out there. Kind of vented about some things. And I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? Something about this intro isn't sitting right. I'm a little angry. I'm listening back to it. And I'm like, I'm a little testy, a little cranky, a little angry. <laughs> so I decided to scrap it all. And here I am, Monday afternoon, redoing everything and getting a better version of this podcast out for you, for everyone, and for myself. You know, I've said this before, and I'll probably need to say it again, if for anyone, for myself, that I am doing the podcast for myself plus you. I feel like I'm put in a unique position as a host to be able to provide people's stories and inspiration and their, their personalities to you as a listener. That's a unique position to get to be in. I'm also doing this for myself. So that way I can learn how to be social again, how I can learn how to get back into the groove of life and, and diving deep into conversations. Sometimes as a creative, it's really easy to get lost in my head. <laughs> Anyone out there like that? Do you, do you get lost in your head as well? Uh, so I feel like something somewhere, someone's giving me a sign because I've heard a lot of conversations or I don't know, just like things, even YouTube videos talking about effort, putting in the effort. And, and, and I've been asking myself over the last few days, am I putting in the effort? Am I pursuing my friendships, relationships, my people, my work, my hobbies? Am I, am I putting in the effort? With people, am I treating it like a two-way street? You know, understanding that I've got to do my, my part too. I can't just expect everyone to come to me. I've got to put in the effort. I'll just say this. In regards to the original intro, I, I do have a question to ask. Are you, are you being the person who's possibly being the thumb in someone's life? You know what I mean, the thumb. Are you squashing someone? Are you, are you just every idea, everything that they maybe present to you or, or uh, confide in you about, are you squashing it somehow with your attitude, with your dismissiveness? Don't do that. Come on. You're better than that. You've, you've learned, you should know that you, you can't squash someone. They're opening up to you, man. They're, they're coming to you and they're saying, look, I want you to be a part of my life. Don't push them away. Don't, don't deflect. Don't project. Don't do the thing where you, you isolate yourself. And we've talked about this before. Boundaries are good, but there's a difference between restoration and isolation. Don't be the guy that squashes everyone. Don't be the guy that just, when someone 
gets close to you, you just immediately tense up and have to laugh your way out of it or belittle the person around you. Don't, just don't. That's not cool. No one wants to be around you if you're that way. For those of us who are dealing with those types of people, hang in there. You're better than that. Get away from them. That attitude is toxic. It has no, uh, it does not have your best interest in mind. A person who acts that way consistently, they're on a one-way path to protect themselves. There's not a two-way relationship going on here. So watch out for yourself. Know that you're worth it. Know that you have the right to get out from under the thumb, the squashing thumb. It's cool, man. You can walk away. You can set that boundary. You can come back. You can put it to rest. You can put it on the shelf, stare at it for a minute, for a week, walk away, breathe, breathe a lot, sleep, go get that glass of water, go get the feet out into the grass, into the sand, into the water, whatever you need to do, but you take time for you. Don't let that person or that job or those people or that group or that family member control you, tell you how to act, tell you, oh, oh, you're, you're, you're quiet now. Well, you can't do that. Yes, you can. You can have your peace. You have a right to be nice to yourself because it's going to start with you. The world's going to continue to be nuts. The world will always, always be nuts. I, come on. You don't need me to say that. You don't need me to say that. But how I can encourage you is that, you know what? It's okay. You're okay. You're good. And you're good enough. I don't know if anyone else needs to hear it. If anything, like I said, I'm doing this podcast for myself. I know I need to hear it. And saying it out loud, it helps. So take a moment. Go on that walk. Even if it's a walk to the refrigerator to get some water and say it out loud. Let yourself hear it. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I am good enough. I'm very excited for everyone to hear the conversation with Colin today. Man, I've got two sides that I'm working here, right? I've been talking about how I'm trying to be more social. I've also been talking about how I'm trying to share these stories of people and, and how they're inspiring to me and digging deeper and, and providing a, a platform or an area where you as the listener get to listen to this and, and, and let this inspire you to be you. So that's exactly what happened in this conversation with Colin. It turned out to be a beautiful conversation. I didn't know what to expect. We've not really hung out outside of Three Brothers Coffee. It, in fact, we ran into each other at a record store recently. That's, that was like, that wasn't a hang. It wasn't intentional. That was just kind of a, oh, hey, hey, oh, oh, minor threat. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? This was a good time. Colin's a good dude. He's a sweetheart. And I'm really grateful that he and I got to talk and kick back get to know each other, open up a little bit, not only bond over the music stuff, but you know, bond over life, stories, history, kind of where we are and where we're sitting with it and where we hope to be with it years from now, days from now, hours from now. Sometimes it's just the little things. 
Sometimes it's just the little steps. And we can look forward to the little things and the little steps because what have we said already? We're good enough. Man, I'm so glad I talked to Colin. I'm so glad that I'm talking to you right now and that we're doing this. I hope you have a good week. I hope that however your Monday is going to spy Instagram and Facebook, man, it's not a sign. It's not that stuff. Just, you know what it is a sign of? Give it a break. Be you. Don't be a drone. Stop being sucked into the the, the cookie cutter copy stuff. Just give it a break. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. I am more than honored to welcome my new friend to the show and introduce you to the one and only Colin Callahan. I saw something the other day that was like a tweet from someone that was like, ah, oh, I love the smell of no kids in the morning. <laughs> Shout out to all my friends who are like new parents because yeah. they're on the grind right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we have never, we after today, we will have never have talked so much consecutively. No, I think there's usually like a transaction of coffee involved. So... <laughs> Yeah, which I may know more about you than you know me about me, and the most you probably know about me is my drink order and that I'm going to potentially get a burrito. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we should we should fix that in and outside of this episode. So you you were just saying you've been in this house for close to 10 years. Yeah, so we, so Amanda's a native. My okay. wife is from Franklin originally. I'm from originally Augusta, Georgia. I've kind of been all over, you know, New York and all over Georgia and vans on tour. So I guess that counts as a house, kind of, you know. Um, But yeah, when we moved here, it was a situation of you start looking around at renting versus owning stuff. And we were just ready to grab something. And, you know, anyone who doesn't live in Nashville, the the market here for houses is bananas half the time. It's insane. so we got really, really lucky, and we had a really good time looking for the house. Actually, I don't know if you guys remember remember Super Chick, the Christian like <laughs> yes. two girl fronted like I do pop band. Yeah, the bassist was the I guess the agent, the realtor, the, uh-huh. whatever you would call it, yeah, whatever yeah. the fuck it is, real estate agent. <laughs> yeah, that showed the house to us. Oh wow! Because we're walking through, and you know, you do the normal Nashville thing of you know, oh yeah, I toured in bands and. I was on this label and did that tour and la la la. And he goes, oh yeah, I used to play in a band. I was in Super Chick. I was like, of course. (laughs) It has to be in Nashville, right? Right, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we've been living here for a while and yeah, just slowly adding to it. My wife, Amanda, has impeccable taste. And yeah, she does a really good job with with the decor around here. I'd say so. so. Thanks, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. This is my first time here. And talk to us about the room we're sitting in. So... We're sitting in what, for all intents and purposes, is a finished like patio. Okay. <laughs> but um, over the years, we've kind of transformed it into a record room. Um, there's floor to ceiling cabinet for vinyl. There's probably about three thousand. Yeah, there's about three thousand records in here, and then just like other odds and bobs. There's stereo equipment, and this is kind of where we would consider it a bonus room. We're both very like musically inclined people. And that's been a very big 
part of existence for us since you know jump in our relationship and yeah really in our lives period from from when we were little so to have a designated space to really like enjoy and like attentively like listen to music and hang out and like have friends over yeah um, it's super fun so yeah this is unique like this is this is like a dream room for me like just oh, dude. <laughs> not just with the vinyl but also like there's no tv in here the only screen is the laptop that i'm recording into right now right like, that's one aspect of music that I love is getting lost in the sounds and there's no visual to uh, manipulate my feelings. If oh, that makes truly. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And there's definitely, there's screen time in here where, you know, a record's on and, you know, everyone has those days, right? Where yeah. like you're done and you put on music or you, you know, you go to cook or whatever. And like, you just end up on your phone. Like it happens to all of us. Sure. I think it's inevitable. But we've really tried to make this a room where you can come in and just kind of enjoy listening to music and hanging out with people and not really, you know, have to worry about anything ex like extemporaneous, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Do you remember the last time you left the house without your phone or forgot it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Yo, so I, I do. I tend to do it pretty often. So. I, I run a coffee shop here in Nashville. I'm the general manager of Three Brothers Coffee, and I do a lot of my work on my phone. Yeah. And, you know, I have amazing staff, but a lot of times it's just a question that, like, I'm going to be the guy who has to answer it. Uh -huh. So I usually have my phone with me, but if I am feeling brave and also, like, I have the utmost respect and trust 100% anyone on my staff, so I can get away with, you know, going out and being like, cool, I'm going to go to the record store. We're going to go to dinner and, like... Ah, whatever's on that can like wait because yeah. i always think about it in terms of like if this was when we were kids and it was a landline like what the fuck would you do <laughs> someone would just leave you a message right yeah <laughs> and like when you got home you'd be like oh i got a message yeah yeah <laughs> so. oh man yeah i left the house a few sundays ago without my phone and it was just like this odd freeing moment but like the first 10 minutes of real, realizing I didn't have my phone, it was like, do I really know how to get around town? Do I really like, right. am I going to remember the list? Go in that crisis mode. Yeah. Almost. Like, can I do this? And even walking into Target, it was like, but what if? Uh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, you're fine. Do you feel like you have a what if problem? I feel like I have a what if problem. Explain the what if problem. Like, um, maybe it's a little bit of like being like, maybe it's anxiousness. Of like being like, oh, well, what if I leave my phone and like this happens? I feel like I can fall into that sometimes, but I, I've, I've been prone to feel that way after traumatic events. But typically, I would say that I lean towards the whole whatever happens, happens. For sure. Kind of yeah, thing. Same. But the older I get... I feel like that whole um, thing in my 20s of feeling invincible is slowly deteriorating, and that's what drives those moments of a what if for me. Oh, truly. So yeah. there's been some aspect of like, as I've gotten into my 30s that I feel a little bit more calm, mm -hmm. a little bit more like grounded, but then there's also that layer of reality that, kind of tears away of like not everything is forever you're not invincible <laughs> yeah there's there's the indefinite right there yeah, yeah. for sure because we were talking the other day you're 35 right yeah yeah so we're the same age oh cool so yeah it's kind of like um 
especially as you get older and you start to, you know, have tragedy happen. And you have great stuff happen too, but of course, sure. like it's inevitable. Bad stuff happens to everyone. But you kind of feel like maybe you lose some of your cheerleaders along the way, whether yeah. they pass or, you know, that friendship ends or however, however you want to slice it. And it's like, oh, what if it's like, what if it's just me? Yeah. <laughs> like, what if it's just me out here on the island? Yeah. So. Yeah. So do you run into that often? That what if still or? Uh, not as much, probably. Like, I think I'm in the same boat as you where you really have to say like, fuck it. It's out of my hands. <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to let it ride. Yeah. Yeah. Because like. If you can't let it ride, you're just gonna be stressed out mm -hmm. all the time. You know, there are so many things that you woulda, coulda, shoulda, if and but, but really, you just have to like wing it and really go for it because what you plan isn't always what you get. So, yeah. yeah so let's let's start. Let's go. Let's go way back. You mentioned Augusta's where you're from. Yeah, yeah Augusta, and Georgia. You've been a little bit everywhere. So, mm -hmm. kind of tying into that idea of like winging it, like. Is that a part of your story with the various places you've lived or? Oh, totally. Okay. Well, I mean, it kind of, I always got lucky with the idea of just like, I guess I surrounded myself with people that I thought were good people to be around. And um, I was, was lucky to either be on tour with a great band or was able to tour in bands that I really liked and, you know, always landed in some either situation as far as living or with work where I enjoyed myself and I made the best of it. I knew that like, as long as I was around the people that, you know, I had solid friendships with, or, you know, people that were in the same mindset and kind of the same ethos as me, then whatever I had would work, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of, even now, like knowing that I'm able to earn my keep and like get to do what I do. Like that's a blessing like that, that yeah. rules. So, and I'm grateful for that. Pretty much every single day, you know, I think a lot of people strive for more or kind of an ideal, idealistic, like scenario that maybe is pushed upon them. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's about like, you know, you take your lumps and you have your victories and, you know, you grind it out and yeah, you get by with what, what you really love and what you, what you want to have around. So yeah, yeah, you have what you need and what you don't need. Don't worry about it. So yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So Augusta is, is were you born in Augusta? Yeah, so okay. Augusta is take your sip. You can have your drink oh, too. Yeah. You're, yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> it's your house. <laughs> I like totally cut him off right as like he takes a second to breathe. That was such an important fucking question. I had to go for it. <laughs> but um Augusta's probably, if I remember correctly, the second largest city after Atlanta. Um and yeah, I pretty much I grew up there for most of my like adolescent life and to my 20s and for the most part like my early 20s and mid 20s were spent like either touring or kind of bopping around and staying in different places um in Savannah and Charleston like kind of here and in between like depending on the relationship I was currently in and um yeah ended up in Brooklyn recording a record for a little while New like, York yeah, so I played in a band that ended up on Epitaph Records named Vera. Um, okay. They continued on and did two really good records after I left the band, but the first full length was recorded with um, Rob from Hidden Plain View at his studio right outside of New York City proper. Hmm. Um, it's called the Pilot Studio. Okay. And we were one of the first bands to really do stuff with him. He went on to do stuff with Hit the Lights and a couple of other kind of like Northeastern pop punk bands. Yeah. Right? So... After that, I lived in Atlanta for several years. Um, ended up here. I really dig it here. Yeah. How long have you been here, Clark? Officially four years this fall. Cool. 
Yeah. What was the catalyst for that? Oh, a handful of things. Yeah. Primarily, the biggest attraction was the music industry. For sure. And the fact that I was running a recording studio full time, you know, or to the best of my ability with the market that I was working in. And then knowing that there were opportunities to go to recording school or just work more hands on with a lot more artists here in Nashville was a big deal. And then also just kind of spreading my wings. You know, like I'd say I spent most of my life in my hometown with the exception that I've lived other places for short right. periods of time. Mm-hmm. And it was just enough to taste something else that it was like, you know what, like there's still more out there that I want to explore and find oh, and for sure. do. I just didn't really see myself staying and dying in my hometown. And to those who are there, you know, and who see that as a part of their life, that's amazing. Like there's a great community there. Yeah. And I know when I go home, like I know the three bars that I'm going to go to. I know the coffee shop I'm going to go to. I know where all my best friends are probably hanging out or where they live so I can stalk them. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, like I, I know I know where home is. And I that's something that I feel like for me, at least when I've traveled, like I've lived abroad, I've lived in, in you know, Germany and lived there on and off for a few years. Okay. And so living in Nashville, it's felt kind of similar. It's like, I, I know where home is when I need it. Mm-hmm. It's just the difference is now it's a two hour drive as opposed to a $2,000 plane ticket. And Oh, you totally. Know. Yeah. Nashville's been good, you know? And, and I think that the plan is to stay for the foreseeable future and just making the best of whatever happens here. Like, yeah, totally. You know, and there's an, like a really nice comfortability in that. Like, I love my hometown, but like, this feels like home. Yeah. You know? I think that anything that I really craved as a musician or as, you know, someone who is inclined to be more artistic or, you know, wanted to be people around people who were like-minded, I really felt like moving here, a lot of that was facilitated finally. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in Atlanta, I had that, but it was more of like kind of being on the periphery of other friend groups that were already kind of a thing. And we're here is like, you know because music has such a strong like base to a lot of relationship mm-hmm. i think that's where i really like kind of strive you know and have kind of like done really well in nashville and really enjoyed living here yeah. um yeah because everyone's a musician everyone is you know a record collector everyone <laughs> is you know in the studio every single day or they're in and out on tour which i think is you know it's super fun and it keeps things interesting too yeah because I even see it at work a lot where I have these awesome regulars who are in and out on tour. And it's like, well, who are you out with now? How mm-hmm. about now? And, you know, especially right now where the stress of the past year and a half are starting to melt for a lot of people. Yeah. It's really, really fucking cool, dude. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. so nice to see people come and be like, oh, I was just out with three, three doors down for, you know, <laughs> two and a half weeks. And it's like, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm glad you're back on the road, Very even though much. you're hearing Kryptonite every night. Yeah. <laughs> but hot take, Kryptonite's a great song. No, I'm, okay. not gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to sit here and pretend that I didn't have that like printed out as a tab, like learning that <laughs> when you were in middle school. Oh, dude, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, let's, let's, uh, I know you're a guitar player. Mm-hmm. What was your way into music? Like, did, an instrument come first or did you see a poster somewhere like what was it what's your story oh man it was it was 100 percent family like dad always had records around um 
grandma had a parlor piano and she would sit and pick at hymns and kind of sing and play piano. So anytime I was over at my grandparents' house, I was kind of sit and I'd pick and play at the piano. And my dad had this like older Gretsch acoustic guitar, which I don't know if the story is true, but the story he told was always really cool. He was out like hanging out with his friends outside their house. It's like summer break or something. And um, he had an acoustic guitar. His friend was like, look, I'm Pete Townsend and went to like guitar spin it. And the strap broke and the guitar just basically like exploded. So the kid's dad was like, all right, well, let's go get you a new guitar. And he had this Gretsch that I guess they bought him at the pawn shop. The guy's dad did. So that guitar was always around. I piddled on it. And really like, I feel like a lot of my friends were huge Blink guys. And of course, like I like Blink-182. That was a huge band for me when I was younger. Sure. And they're still an awesome band. Yeah. But for me, it was all about Billy Joe Armstrong. Like, when I saw the When I Come Around video, mm. like, I had to have a Strat. I had to wear the Dickies. I had to wear, like, the vintage <laughs> shirt from the thrift store. Like, yeah. like, that was probably the first, like, cool, fuck yeah, I'm, I want to play guitar. And I was probably 12 or 13. I got a candy apple red Strat for my birthday. Ooh. But, like, a little, like combo amp like little like probably comes in like a pack together sure so that was kind of it and like do you wear the the guitar around your knees oh dude totally as low as billy joe did covered in stickers (laughs) yeah Yeah, like skate stickers band stickers like we would go to these like all night skate nights at the local like roller rink yeah and i remember little gumball machines Mm -hmm. would have like queens reich and this like punk stickers or something like instead of candy <laughs> yeah so i would just like fucking spend all my money on these stickers and these machines and just go home and plaster my guitar yeah so yeah that was kind of where it started and like the vinyl thing is for sure like back in the day when no one really was trying to collect vinyl in the 90s my dad would go and buy like a whole collection at like you know a swap meet or like a yard sale and we just thumb through them you know and like we'd listen to huey lewis in the news and like dance around and like oh this is so cool like yeah i grew up with a turntable in my room so oh wow that was kind of like the serious collecting has probably been for about 15 years now maybe a little bit less but like i've always had records in some regard so if it wasn't that it was cds if it wasn't that it was like every time you saw a band like you had to buy a fucking t-shirt like growing up in a local punk and hardcore scene like there was a show every single night. Really? You know? In Augusta? Oh, oh, absolutely. Cool. So what was we were, the the venue like were there multiple ones or was there one? There were at one point in time there were multiples. Um we were super fortunate that there was this little corner of um Eighth and Ellis. And at one point in time, there was on the corner the Capri Cinema. It was like an old porn theater that the punks had taken over, <laughs> like the early nineties, pulled up all the seats, and they ran this like snake for all the mics from the um, old projector booth yep. to the stage. And bands like Hatebreed would play there. Wow. Like, one of the first hardcore shows I went to was like Hatebreed, Hope's Fall, and Stretch Armstrong, <laughs> which it might be after when you guys hear this, but Furnace Fest is next weekend, so that's like extremely appropriate yeah. <laughs> considering what's coming up in Birmingham. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so there was that. Right next to it was Infernal Racket, which was kind of this DIY like record store, like free space also bookstore and that's where like the punks hung out okay and i remember like going in there and like my mxpx shirt and just being so fucking scared because all these (laughs) kids were so cool and they were laying all over the couches and like you know their crust punk gear and mohawks and everything is spiked and i was like god they're so cool i wish i could hang out with these people (laughs) and then right next to that was the hangout gallery and the hangout was like 
a private art kind of gallery for this guy andrew benjamin who is a phenomenal like mixed media artist he also plays in this band i think they're based out of Asheville now called the hell blinky sextet okay and it's kind of like one man band where he plays drums and acoustic but it's very like kind of sea shanty like almost like kind of like folky songs like that mm. but he'll have like guest musicians come in with him but we're really fortunate like those three were right next to each other nice. you know and then later on we had like a place called the plus eight which like would have some bigger shows like they would have you know from autumn to ashes or like every time i die would play okay you know and they had a coffee shop in the back of that yeah um and then later on there's this place called sector 7g nice little simpsons reference um that was literally one block down and that would be like when I started playing with Vera, we would do like very big shows with bands like All Time Low, or we would play with mm -hmm. a band like A Day to Remember. And these were still like, you know, 200 cap shows at best, yeah. but they were selling out and we were like, holy shit. Like, sometimes those are the best shows. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so crazy to think in like, in retrospect now of like bands like that going on to have these huge careers, you know, and headlining mm -hmm. things like, leads are doing like download and having you know yeah 50 60 000 people yeah just an entire airport field full Dude, of <laughs> it's bananas yeah which is amazing because like you you think about those shows and it's like whoa that's like that's the the same gig you know mm -hmm. um but yeah we we're just really really fortunate and really like i'm super grateful that we had those spaces where like bands would come and play and we had some other like venue slash bars that would do like 21 and up shows and have like you know dinosaur jr or lucero come and play oh that's cool you know stuff like that yeah which as i got older like i would go to those shows too but yeti that corner of eighth and ellis when i was like a young punker like every single night i would just be down there even if i wasn't going in the show i would have no money to go in the show we would just hang out yeah you know we were just all down there to like you know have water cooler talk and just like uh -huh. were there multiple shows going on at once <laughs> oh dude totally yeah there would definitely be times where like especially when i started playing in bands i would do like my little afi wannabe skate punk like set over here at the hangnail uh -huh. and then like run to the other venue to like watch whatever band was playing yeah so um which was super fun because like a lot of times you would have all these bands that came from atlanta or came from charleston or from columbia south carolina which are all like you know, two hour drives. Yeah. So Augusta was really nicely centrally located, especially like as a band that started to tour like Vera did because we could go and play all these gigs and, you know, be home for jobs if we had them at the time. Mm. So that's awesome. So what was your first show? First uh, show ever? Yeah. How old were you? I was, I got to think back. I've told this story before. I'm making sure I get the dates right. I was 11, so 1996, nice. at the Bell Auditorium. It was the James Brown birthday bash. Okay. Yeah, so James Brown, it was... James Brown. Is he from Augusta? He is from Augusta. Really? Well, from Beach Island, Okay. which technically is like Barnwell, South Carolina. I think it's like right over. Disclaimer, I, I know nothing about Georgia. Like, oh, it's okay. Like, so that's why I'm asking so much oh, about yeah, Augusta. Totally. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically like Augusta sits on the Savannah river. So basically like from downtown, you take one bridge over and you're in South Carolina. Mm. So if you were to take South Carolina, like a little bit further out towards like where it kind of becomes a little bit more like craggly and like 
beachy and a little bit almost like marsh um beach island like barnwell it's kind of that area of south carolina which is where james brown was originally born so and if i'm wrong like you guys can quote me on it it's <laughs> fine um this is how i remember it and i'm the one talking yeah so. <laughs> um so yeah i went with my dad and my grandma to see james brown and the blues brothers played and it was dan Aykroyd and jim belushi of course john was passed by then and wow. i want to say like Another hip-hop artist, a rapper, played, and in my mind, it it wants to be Snoop Dogg, but I can't remember. Mm. My only regret is I really wish I was a little bit older. Yeah, so you could remember more. Yeah, yeah. because it was like it was definitely like one of those shows, like knowing how good it was and knowing mm. it was just like. And the thing about James too is like he was always around, dude. Really, like even when I was older and like started to like work in kitchens in that downtown scene, like there was a place called the Soul Bar. It was kind of the local haunt for the cooks and the red-eyed miscreants at night hmm. and um sometimes you would go in and james is playing pool and like he's got his like you know bodyguard with him and he's just like running the table by himself and it's like all right cool we'll play pool later james name's his table right now you know or we'd go to one of the shows and like the shitty venue wouldn't have like a working bathroom she so would go to like the nice downtown hotel right where everyone like posts up if it's like someone nicer and James would just be in the lobby with like his security. Wow. So like he was just like in happenstance all around. Hmm. Somewhere up here, I do have a <laughs> so this is wild. A signed ticket from a fish fry that was a Republican Party like charity event. Okay. My grandpa was like super duper into politics. And we don't have to go down that ra- road. I don't really want to talk about that shit. Um, <laughs> but he was very active in politics, like locally. And he was the chairperson for that party. Yeah. And um, yeah, James would make appearances of this type of stuff. So I had my little fish fry ticket. And I was like, you sign my ticket, Mr. Brown. Wow. So, yeah. So he was always super nice. I know he was a wild man, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at least he was polite. Yeah, dude. Super talented. How old so. were you with the when he when he went up to him with the ticket? probably around that same age yeah. i honestly that might have been even before that show at the bell auditorium like mm-hmm. his birthday thing so yeah i we ran into him a lot so it That's was just so like cool. yeah it's just kind of part of like he was like that that local legend where it's kind of almost like you know they tell the stories about like tom petty not being around mm-hmm. like he's from gainesville right I think it's Gainesville. Yeah, he was he was kind of a hermit. Yeah, like he like just wasn't around. Yeah, the opposite was James. Okay, <laughs> just always just, around, and and probably to a point where it was kind of normal and normalized and accepted. Oh, totally. You know, like, therefore, maybe people weren't flocking around him all the time because oh, he was just out that for much. Sure. You just fucking shoot finger guns at him, and you're like, "What's up, James?" Yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the first show. I want to say the first like punk show i went to were all these local bands that were playing on a flatbed out in the alleyway outside of the capri cinema and it was this band that i remember really vividly they were this three-piece pop punk band called team taco and they covered like reliant k and they had their own shit too but i just remember them being so cool and the Mm. singer went on to be in this awesome hardcore band and i guess they called estrella um he unfortunately passed and they had another singer after that. And she was also phenomenal. Hmm. But yeah, if you guys can find Estrella anywhere on the internet, you should definitely check it out. It's the, good. Um, absolutely. The guitar player is in a band now. I think the bass player too, um, called little Tybee. 
from Atlanta. Okay. And um, I've heard of that. Yeah. He's a phenomenal guitar player. The whole band was so technically proficient and they wrote amazing, amazing songs. Okay. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing Bobby's band, Team Taco. And I was like, oh, there's like kids that kind of look like me. And like, because I, I went to this like, I'll back up a little bit. So I went to a performing arts high school. Hmm. So it wasn't magnet. It wasn't like, you know, a private school, but you had to audition to get into it. Hmm. So you had to have some type of like propensity for the arts, whether it be like you were a dancer or you drew or paint or you were into acting or you were into music. So my sister and I were both super fortunate to apply audition and get into this school, um, which I don't think I had a, a normal high school experience mm. because of that. So I was around a lot of like free, free thinkers and a lot of like people who are of alternative cultures and countercultures, even when I was like 14, 15, 16, you know, it wasn't this thing of like, Oh, well, when I was older and I went to college, like I figured out like, oh, well, this is how other people are, you know, and oh, I've never seen it that way. Like, yeah. like that's a different vantage point. Like I experienced that super duper young. Okay. Um, and I think that a, a lot of the like older kind of punk and wild kids were like, oh, he's like a twitchy little one like us. <laughs> so I had my friend Nikki. I think that's who drove me to that show. But yeah, that was like the first like punk show I ever went to. Nice. Was that like outdoor thing at like the Capri cinema. How so, old were you? I was probably 14 or 15. In fact, I remember really vividly that I, um, I didn't have a phone. I told my parents where I would be at what time. And, uh, we left the show and they're like, Oh, let's go get pizza. And of course I'm like, yeah, like the cool kids, like the older kids are taking me to pizza. So we went to the like local pizza joint. It's called the pizza joint. And we were hanging out. We were goofing off, having this awesome time. And I was out definitely way past my curfew. (laughs) So by the time we walked back to the venue, you know, three or four blocks, my folks are sitting outside, just livid. (laughs) And it snatched my ass up into the car. And I'm gone in front of all my cool new fucking punk friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I was super, like, I have awesome parents that were, like, really open to allowing me to go to those shows and, like, be part of, you know, that scene. I never, I never got told no when it came to like anything that involved music or anything that involved creativity and art. Um, and I was always supported in that way too, which I'm super duper fortunate for. Um, but yeah, I just remember being so fucking embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) As would anyone at that age. It's like, mom, stop. (laughs) It's like, I get get in the car. Yeah. (laughs) So So your first show was a punk show. Yeah. And what was, what, uh, you know, like you're in the South is Southern culture really big in Augusta? Does that clash with the punk scene? Mm. Like is, is the punk scene there because of Southern culture or like, how does that work? That's a great question. I think it was, I think it was a little like skirted by the rest of like kind of the culture and like the youth culture because yeah, in Augusta you have a lot of like wannabe, like you're, insert boot cut denim dan you know type kid or someone who grew up like strictly country or like we had a lot of we had a huge urban population too so you had a lot of kids that like grew up in the hood so i think that was a nice melting pot of like there were kids that were like country as fuck that would come to a punk show Mm. there were a lot of kids like from the i'm using scare quotes like bad side of town that would show up at these punk shows because like we didn't give a shit like we were just like it's music like it's art you know and the thing was is like i guess i'm using punk loosely because like 
when I first started going, like, yeah, there were hardcore shows and like there was karate kicking and, you know, moshing and stuff like that. But we would go and see like, you know, kind of folky blues bands or we would see interpretive bands or we would see these bands that were just like a dude with a busted acoustic guitar and a tape deck with like drums recorded on it. Nice. Yeah. And it was always something like kind of different. And I think like that infusion of all that different like art and just kind of like weird in one spot was really really cool and also like just the downtown culture of like having all these people that were working and like gigging downtown and like just kind of existing like i don't think it ever really like spawned until like later on Mm -hmm. um where there was this clear division of kind of oh cool like these shows are for hardcore kids or they're for metal kids and if you look like this here or if this shirt is on, then maybe not such a good idea. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it kind of becomes that thing of it's less about the art and the culture and the ethos of it and more about what's fucking printed on your chest. Yeah. And I think it got to that point. And I think a lot more of that like us versus them mentality started to show. Yeah. Or like then people would like, oh, well, my brother's gonna come and he's from, you know, south side and he's gonna kick your ass <laughs> you know and it's like some people just came starting to look for a fight you know and some people like even now kind of retrospectively will go why was i doing that like mm. it it started to give me anxiety speaking for other people um like it started to give me anxiety because like every time i showed up it was like expected of me to like cause like a ruckus like mm. there's supposed to be calamity that followed me yeah yeah you know and um, I think when it started to get like that, it was a little bit more kind of the wedge had been driven. Whereas when we were younger, it was like, we were just all there. Like, we had nowhere else to go. Like, we yeah. were just hanging out, like, here for the show, whether it be like, you know, the Poetry Slam or like the Grindcore band. Yeah. So, which was really cool because especially in Augusta, like, we all became friends as bands very quickly. And you would end up on very strange shows, you know. I remember one of the first like big shows I got to play was this little folk like folk punk band called Against Me was going to come up from Florida and oh, was like, the, yeah. yeah, does your just band a want- little band at the time, <laughs> right? Like, and it would be like, does your band want to open? I was like, I've never heard of this fucking band, but sure, yeah. Um, and of course they were phenomenal. Of course the show was amazing. Mm-hmm. Of course they were perfect. And now we understand like where that comes from. You know, Laura Jane and the rest of the guys are just amazing at what they do. Yeah. So, um. But yeah, I think Southern culture was definitely present, but luckily we were very kind of insular, like in our scene for a long time, where I don't think it really mattered. Like it was definitely there. And it was definitely something that like was dealt with when I was younger, younger. I kind of attended public school for a little bit. Mm. And you know, when you're the twitchy, weird, like kind of punky kid in art school, it's like, oh, cool. Like you're, you're in with us. us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But when you're in like the public school, you're in a school where like kids are more prone to like want to pick and bully, like that shit happens. Yeah. So. A couple things you said, kind of going back to like the Southern culture. Um, actually, before I forget, is it just me or is there a thing in hardcore culture where you don't wear the shirt of the band who's playing? Does it, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I feel like, I think that's so stupid. Like, I feel like in hardcore culture, specifically like you right. don't show up wearing one of their like older tour shirts if it's the band who's playing like I, I was trying to explain this to someone i was like i don't know why but i caught on really quick that at hardcore shows you didn't do that and like you would look 
you, you weren't cool. Like if you showed up to name insert band's name, yeah. you know, and you're wearing that shirt that maybe the last time they were in town, like, but you could wear anything else. Dude, which is so crazy because like, if you really look at like the lineage of kind of punk and hardcore, yeah, a lot of those bands were wearing their own fucking t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like even now, like you look at some of these newer bands, like a band like Turnstile, like, they're wearing their own stuff on stage and it's because they're making merch that they like because they want to wear it too. Yeah. And like, I can't speak for anyone else, but I thought it ruled when people showed up to shows with a shirt on of the band that I was in. Hmm. Like, I thought that was cool because like, that's big love to be like, I'm going to this show and I'm seeing this band and we all wore shirts for this band. And like we rolled as a group to the show to see them. Yeah. So I kind of am into it. I've always thought it was stupid. I've gotten caught wearing the same shirt as someone at a show. And I think that's way more fucking embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah. Nice shirt. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like we're, we live in the South and then you grew up in the South and mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in the Midwest and there is a, there is a bit of a difference when you cross over the Kentucky, Indiana border where all of a sudden you can just tell like the accents are gone and everything is just flat and cornfields mm-hmm. <laughs> and the mentality is a little bit harder you know not as relaxed in some ways mm-hmm. living in the south i know that there are some benefits of kind of that southern hospitality but then you know and, and you mentioned not getting political and we don't have to go down any of those roads today i'd be more than happy to take a break from that type of conversation um it just seemed to be coming my way <laughs> but like we live in the south and the south brings some things with it it does (laughs) how do you do like does that affect you on a day-to-day basis do you run into any issues like i guess what i'm asking is like since you've come from the south i don't know what i'm asking but like i'm trying to get it out like is there already something inside of you that like you know what to expect in your surroundings have you come to peace with like that there's a lot of racism in the South or that there's a lot of rebel flags and, and, you know, just a lot of stuff come with the South. I feel like, as oh, opposed to other parts of the not. country. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, <sighs> am I making sense? I'm glad you asked that. You I'm know, really like, glad I d- you asked that. I don't want to like, it doesn't have to be a political thing, but like, you know, what's it like living in the South for you? Because like when I go to the beach and I drive through Alabama and where you drive past like the whatever uh the confederate memorial museum mm-hmm. and having especially in the last couple of years gone through what our country's gone through with racism um i'm super grateful i grew up in a home that taught that racism was wrong but to see these things so prevalent still oh absolutely even though i'm just from 2 hours north of here like it just still feels like the presence is that much stronger. Oh, truly. Well, I think it's like you said, has been amplified greatly, you know, even more so now because before I think a lot of people could kind of shuffle it under the rug, unless you had it right in front of you. Mm. You know, I think it was really hard to, unless you had someone saying something or doing something that you were just like appalled by to be like, Hey, fucking cut that shit out Mm. right away. Especially like in punk hardcore, any type of like, community that is welcoming to anyone and everyone um 
like that's never like gained traction full stop new paragraph Mm. (laughs) um but i think that like one of the things about the south is people want to call it heritage and i think the thing that a lot of people especially in these kind of like rural communities people who are in working class they just don't have that scope of existence you know they they haven't been taught that they haven't been around people that are very different from them i'm really fortunate that like even though i grew up in a very southern town surrounded by a lot of like really southern people and white trash and rednecks um are there memorials there confederate memorials in augusta not that i remember um there was a haunted pillar in downtown which the the story goes that it was part of like the slave market and like no matter what happens to it like it gets hit by lightning it gets hit by cars like it will always like still be there in some regard like mm-hmm. it's never been able to be torn down if you touch it you get like bad luck for you know insert however long interesting but i think it's gone now like i think someone's actually like picked up and moved it and been like this is just like an obtuse like annoyance you know yeah <laughs> like in yeah. the way of traffic or something <laughs> like that okay so but, nothing related to its history or, or potential history yeah exactly it's, exactly and that might even be like folklore like it could just been sure. like that was a pavilion there and now it's not mm-hmm. um but yeah i think it's still very prevalent i think i notice it even more now um as i get older i get more comfortable in my ideals and what i believe in mm-hmm. and what i i perceive as right from wrong i can only speak for myself and sure. the words that come out of my mouth and my actions so for me yeah it's a thing of always kind of squaring people up now because People like to make jokes and people think they're fucking funny, mm. you know? And racism and homophobia and fucking sour history is not funny. Yeah. You know? And am I from it? Like, do I have roots in the South? Absolutely. But I have roots in the hospitality. Like, I have roots in strong family. I have roots in working hard and, you know, we're all eating no yeah. matter what. Like, if someone needs it, like, you're there for them. That's the South that I recognize and mm. like really kind of can call my own. Now all this like backwards, like flag flying, like peanut chucking, whatever the people are doing, that's, that's them, you know? And I hope that one day they can wake up and go, Oh fuck, I was wrong this whole time. Mm. You know, that being scared of people that are different from me and being scared of someone having a different scope and coming from somewhere else because of the way they had to be raised or the way they're treated because of who they are. Yeah. I can, I can only hope that people find that. Yeah. Like, and I think some people do. And I think some people just need to have hard conversations. And I think some For people sure. need to be honest with other people. Um, and I think also just like common denominator, man. Like, once again, it's music, it's food, you know, it's art, it's, it's a good time. Yeah. Like, it's family. Like everyone wants that and everyone wants to feel accepted and loved and they want to feel like they're safe. And I think that sometimes like, especially in the society we live where it's a you versus me, capitalistic, you know, I got to make mine, even if I have to take it from you. Mm. I think a lot of people get caught up in that, Yeah, you know, and I think they get caught up in the grind and yeah, it's a real problem. And I think that there's not an easy solution to it, mm-hmm. you know, it takes time. Dude, absolutely. I can go into my 
my anarcho punk agenda <laughs> all you want. Yeah. <laughs> so, because really, like, it's just, it's, it, it, you hope that you have this innate human good. You know, we talk about human evil, right? Yeah. But we never t- stop to talk about the good in people mm-hmm. and that ideally, if everyone, was facilitated what they need. If everyone had the resources they need and the opportunities and a place to live, they had shelter, if they had food, um, I think people's demeanor and what they're going for would be a lot different. A lot more, a lot less people would have to resort to fucking stealing shit or result in having to have this mentality of like, come take it from my cold dead hands. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that like it, it's it's trickle down. It's kind of it's hate mongery stuff that you really like. As long as you have any type of strong governmental body that isn't in the hands of the people themselves, mm-hmm. like truly not passes, like you know, go vote today. I don't I don't see it happening the way we want without a lot of really really hard discussion yeah. and a lot a lot of progressive thinking. Yeah, you know. Um, well, I think like when you choose to only view the negative. Or you want to remember, you know, the negative. For me, I've come to a point where I've realized in myself, like, that's the easy way out. Because Absolutely. viewing the good in someone, that's hard. True. Because, like, especially when there's been an offense or you have a personal experience that you have to work through and navigate mm-hmm. to remember that maybe one person or uh, it could be as simple as a family member doesn't represent, you know, an entire, you know, group of people oh man absolutely Um, and it's it's hard to to remember the good or to see the good Mm -hmm. but it's worth it i recently watched a movie and so i'm going to go out on a limb here because part of doing this podcast again is to to keep myself accountable Mm -hmm. and to have these types of discussions because like living in isolation and then working from home for the last year and a half it's like i don't remember how to talk anymore i feel like i feel feral sometimes do you feel that (laughs) yeah it's like oh my god bye (laughs) yeah or like then someone like you like i see you and i'm needing to be caffeinated and and then (laughs) you've been caffeinated and you're in your element at the coffee shop and i'm just like i i wish i interacted more or like just took a second to like stop and like hang more um so those are some reasons i'm doing the podcast along with um, also being honest about how I feel about certain things. Mm-hmm. The other night I watched the movie Benchwarmers for the first time. I'd never seen it before. So Benchwarmers is... Uh, oh, Johnny Knoxville? Not Johnny Knoxville, but uh, the guy who played uh, Napoleon Dynamite, oh, one of the twins. Is this a... Oh, no, it's... This, see, scratch my CD in broad daylight. Um, it's it's where the kids are playing baseball and they were never good enough to get on the team. Rob Schneider's in it. Oh, okay. I'm and thinking then, of a different movie. They're like nerds and, <laughs> and like they finally put as adults put together a three man baseball team and um, inspire nerds all around the country. Hell yeah. But I'll have to say, and I, I think he has started to correct his ways. And I have a, a bigger point with this, but like, it's a bummer to go back and watch those movies for me in Adam Sandler movies specifically, because there's a lot of homophobic references. There's a lot of just references to things that I don't think and, and we'd we'd make the easy quote of like, you couldn't make that movie today. But like the truth is like I wouldn't want to go pay to see this movie if it were made today. And if I'm watching it out of nostalgia, like 
I, anymore, the something inside of me still doesn't sit well with that because the truth is, is if I were to have children or when I have children, I wouldn't be showing them that movie because it's like, I know these actors and I've grown comfortable with them, mm-hmm. but I've also done a lot of work to get comfortable to realize like, that's also wrong. <laughs> Does this make sense? It makes perfect sense because like, if you think about, let's talk about the pocket of like, American Pie to like a movie like Ben Swarmers, you know, like yeah. late 90s to early 2000s. There's a lot of really colorful, crazy shit in those movies. Mm-hmm. And like they tackle some stuff that like is funny, but also stuff that is very faux pas. You know, a scene that sticks out to me like very vividly is in the movie Can't Hardly Wait, which is an amazing film. You know, it's your typical kind of like loser guy loves the you know pretty girl in school and he's gonna tell her how he feels at this big party and she just broke up with her jock boyfriend da, 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 da. yeah yeah but um seth green is um a very culturally inappropriate character in that movie mm. and one of his kind of like lackey friends uses some terminology that should not be uttered out of a mouth ever yeah of that tone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think about that a lot, especially like go back and watch a Borat movie, you know, mm. like those, some of that stuff is cringy, you know? And even like I was, I was listening to something the other day. It was a podcast that was kind of, you know, deconstructing a, a record. I think it might've been a blink record. I can't remember now, but just the idea of, you know, that whole West coast kind of like surfer bro kind of like homo slur, Mm-hmm. like thing that they did right like that was just commonplace yeah. like people people did that and no one knew why and i think the thing is is like again that has a lot to do with you know the culture and kind of being insulated in your own thing yeah you know like if you and your friends think that's funny and you don't have any other scope to know that it's not or that it's offensive or mm-hmm. it's inappropriate then of course you're going to say it is shock value of yeah. course but i think that's where there's no time for hate but there's room for grace you know, where you can learn from a mistake and you can change your opinion. Your opinion doesn't have to stay the fucking same. Sure. Which I think is really important for people to remember. Attention, yeah. your opinion does not have to stay the same. <laughs> like, what you believe when you're younger or what your parents taught you or what the crew you rolled with told you doesn't have to be, like, live and die by the sword shit, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that also has to do with, like, the idea of like faith and like faith is like believing in something you can't necessarily like comprehend or something that isn't there. Like yeah. a faith in humanity. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. This is far from bench warmers now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good though. I'm, I'm tracking. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's a thing of, I think that the evolution of com- comedy and the way people perceive things and the way things are delivered are very very differently now mm-hmm. um, and i think there's still there's still a lot of place for really really funny shit that doesn't involve picking on people for their disability or for their yeah. orientation or the color of their skin yeah you know um and i think that's a place where you know if people really want it they can go into a comedy club and they can hear it from that person and that can be the end of it but do i think it would like fly in a movie or like any type of like pop culture thing yeah absolutely not no you know no it wouldn't and and i think so the perspective and the lens that i'm looking through now and this is something that you know i'm 
like you said, like we can change and we can give our permission, you know, ourselves permission to change, and we should. I I too have to one look at myself and give myself that permission. Go back and look at maybe earlier versions of myself, you know, or, or like myself four years ago, eight years ago. And remember, yes, I was trying my best mm-hmm. and I had room to grow. And in eight years, 10 years, I'm going to look back at me in my 40s and be like, I had room to grow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I hope I have room, you know, I will always have room to grow on until whenever I leave Earth. But with that said, it, it's just like, uh, I also had this feeling watching that movie where take, you know, you mentioned Laura Jane Grace. Take Laura Jane Grace, for example. Take people like Laura Jane Grace growing up with those movies. And then, in the, like you said, like the, the surf bro kind of punk scene. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's no wonder that some people have such a hard time just opening up yeah. and simply being themselves. And, and maybe coming out is one way of putting it, but just even thinking about having a normal conversation of, hey, these are my feelings. This is who I am. Absolutely. You know? And so like when watching that movie, for example, I was just sitting there and I was like, so this was made probably like 20 years ago, which to me, you know, someone who was in high school when the movie was made and came out, like it felt current still. I'm like, oh yeah, like I know these names, you know, oh, sure, I remember yeah. that time still. It's relevant. It's relevant. But there was this overall feeling of like, oh, so this was like a piece of the puzzle of what people are talking about when they were growing up and they felt like everything made fun of who they were or these are the things that maybe added to that person's depression Mm -hmm. or feeling like an outcast. And like, I don't know, like I feel like they're just, (laughs) I'll sum it up with saying like, I'm, if comedy is changing and, and getting smarter and growing up and maturing, I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. Because I guess for the longest time, and this is where I've had some personal growth is I had um, an opinion that would have said, you know, well, in comedy, you have the right to make fun of anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just it's just comedy. And now that I'm seeing and hearing stories of like people coming forth with like, no, like it's adding to like what I went through as a kid in the way that like you and I grew up as punk rockers and we were made fun of for that. Yeah. But, you know, to some degree, like just feel like the things I went through are similar and I can empathize with it, but also like, I guess my heart is for like, if, if it's someone's identity, you know, like, and it's beyond just maybe the music they listen or the clothes they wear, or like it's like their actual identity. Yeah. It just makes me sad. So that's <laughs> yeah. long tangent. Like I, that's where my mind has been over the last few days after watching that movie. And again, like I think Adam Sandler is like, he's progressed. I've noticed where, you know, current movies have like, died down with certain jokes and oh, totally. certain things. I think he's, you know, maybe learned but something. You, but you also got to think like in the same regard that that movie maybe felt made you feel that way. Now there are a lot of us that probably saw that movie and was like, Oh, that got a rise out of everyone. I should say that. Yeah. You know, and that's just, you know, being young and ignorant. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I think that's where, like you were saying, like looking back, like and kind of turning the mirror and being like oh wow me 10 years ago 
like that's a different person you know yeah. like or that's the same person but the things that i really like wanted to instill and the things that i really believed in past like superficial shit um is now what i've grown into and i think that's super important mm -hmm. to like recognize so yeah and i'm not trying to belittle like punk rock or, or like art or anything like that because i think that that is also a part of my identity and a lot of people's identity i guess for me like in a way it seems at least from my perspective like my punk rock or my art was lesser than like when it came to someone's color of their skin for example you know like that's that's actually who they are yeah totally i don't know if i was if i communicated that clear um no that makes perfect sense because i think that going back to like the hardcore thing and the t-shirt thing like it kind of became a like a bro club you know for a long time and mm -hmm. like people people say you know that punk spaces to be safe spaces i think spaces can be safer but punk has never been safe like punk has always been kind of like yeah. a little dangerous and reckless and i mean totally is that not why we all got into it right like because it was a little bit wild mm -hmm. but i really think that like it can be a safer space for everyone mm -hmm. you know and i think that's like something that people are starting to strive for like i went to that turnstile show the other night uh-huh everyone's pitting man everyone every <laughs> single person it didn't matter who you were yeah. you were they were in the pit this this so. this show is going to come up in like probably the first five episodes of this podcast but oh awesome yeah so totally agree there's something to be said about when you are all the way in the back and you're you're against the wall and you can still feel the energy in the room oh truly like it's one of my favorite feelings in the world but from your instagram post it looks like you were you were up in the rowdy rowdy crowdy area i was up <laughs> enough to like to to have a mask on and like not sweat my ass off mm. um but get a little taste you know i more recently have realized with my empathetic behavior that usually when i get like carried away and want to like head walk and jump off stage and do this that, and the other like usually i'm just bumming other people out <laughs> like if i'm in the middle of a show watching a band and some asshole came on stage and sang half the song and then dived on me and spilt my beer i would be bummed you know <laughs> so it's like cool like yeah. i can enjoy this i can be in the crowd i can you know participate but i don't need to be the show you know i fucking paid to see the show yeah so and like people invited on stage but also like dudes don't want their like teeth knocked out by a mic or their pedal stepped on or right. you know whatever else is going to happen while they're playing yeah so i get both points and i get both sides of it um but yeah i definitely think as far as like being inclusive to everyone spaces can be safer mm. um in the punk scene and i think that's starting to change especially like you can maybe like you can attest to this like maybe you can agree to or agree to disagree but when you kind of when you have conversation or when you have like happenstance with kids in the scene that are younger mm. they're so much more progressive than i could ever have hoped to have been mm. at that age yeah i mean i do think that with the internet there's a lot more information that they're able to gain kind of going back to your point mm -hmm. of growing up in rural areas you're not exposed to a lot totally and kids who are seeking those things out they're seeking out more than just the vinyl or mm -hmm. the t-shirt you know or the next ticket it's like there's an attraction because you know a band like turnstile represents so much more than the t-shirt absolutely know, they they represent you know a great time and a free space for 
everyone and, and kind of pointing in a direction towards, you know, we could have a freer space. Like I think they are helping mm-hmm. turn that corner. But yeah, like when you meet someone younger, a friend of mine's daughter, Brad, he has a daughter named Amanda and like hearing her and her husband, they're like young twenties, young married. And mm-hmm. like the way that they like talk about each other and talk about people and like being nice to people. I'm just like, man, like I wish I had you as a friend 15 years ago when I was 20 years old. Oh my <laughs> like, God. You're so right? sweet. Like so. punk rock definitely saved my life. And there were people along the way that definitely like they put food in my mouth. They made sure that like I had a bed to sleep on. Like so many amazing people. I'd be here all day if I just talked about the people that, you know, a lot of them are still friends with meeting through like the punk and hardcore scene. Um, but yeah, dude, there are a lot of people that were real shitty too. Yeah. You know, and you just, you, you had to experience it and you had to like, there were certain people that were always drama and they always were, you know, up to something or into some shit or there was gossip where it was like, now I feel like I go to these shows and seemingly everyone's on the same wavelength. It's the same vibe, yeah. you know, and everyone's there to like kind of support and love and like enjoy the music and enjoy the culture and, you know just take what you want from it as opposed to where before it was like, we'd go to shows and like there were those dudes looking to fuck someone up in a, in a mosh pit. Yep. You know, whereas now like you go to that and you're like, Oh cool. Like that tiny girl's in the mosh pit. Mm -hmm. That guy in the wheelchair is in the mosh pit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Like those are little kids in the mosh pit. Like it's stuff like that. And it's like, it, it, it's no longer this kind of like elitist click. It's a good time, you know, and everyone's invited. Like, and I think that's kind of like, that goes back to the Southern hospitality thing. It's like, we would do shows and like, fuck it. Everyone can come, yeah. you know, like everyone's invited to this. So, which was always fun. Cause then, you know, your parents come. So <laughs> when you were younger, did your parents come see you play a lot? Yes. Yeah. And you know, like it took a while to recognize that, mm-hmm. you know, um, as I was forging my own path, but like, yeah, for sure. There were a handful of significant shows that they both showed up for. That's awesome. And I'm grateful that, you know, that happened regardless of how, you know, anything has played out in my family, drama. Oh, totally. <laughs> whatnot. Like there were some significant shows that they were able to show up for both of them. And so when you say that punk rock saved your life, like what does that mean? Is like, is there a, is there a story behind that or like, Oh, I mean, honestly, man, like little kid who got bullied a lot. Like I didn't feel like I felt like I fit in. Really? I just felt like I was a little bit different. No, like, and that sounds trite. That sounds like, you know, copy paste, but you know, I was really fortunate to have a strong family, but also family that dealt with stuff. And mm. there's a point in time where substance abuse and rehab were part of the game when I was little, little. And I think that sometimes I felt like I was loved and taken care of, but also like I didn't have the friends that I wanted, you know, or I felt like my friends were people like my grandma. You know, mm. we're like, I loved her. She loved me. Like, we just hung out, you know? Yeah. And as you get older, like, and you start to recognize people that are into the same things as you, like, especially when I was like, maybe early teens, like 11, 12, 13, somewhere around there, like, and getting into like new metal and like some of the shitty kids that were like into the same stuff I was in. Mm-hmm. Like, there were good people too, but there were also kids that were really terrible yeah. and that were like, cool, well, he can be the butt of the joke. You know, or mm. in school, like, oh, well, he's a little one. Like, we can pick on that one. Yeah. So getting into punk and getting into this thing of, you know, you can look however you want. You can do whatever you want. Like, you can't tune your guitar. Like, who fucking cares? 
like come to band practice yeah and i think that was really neat is like starting bands and like just making noise and like it didn't have to be good it was just like it was catharsis it's the same reason like we're both sitting here doing this podcast or like we still play music you know for fun or for for a profession like in general like it's something that like on like a base like primitive level is so important and i think that like that and like that ragtag band of people that like pushed me along the way and supported the bands i was in or supported you know the crazy fucking ideas or when i wasn't in the band anymore that was super popular that still stuck by me were you know close and still friends to me yeah i think that really like i think that that kept me around like in a in a general sense of the term not in like a like well it's all over now like Mm. let's end it but more of a like i've never felt so low ever and i would rather just lay here i'd rather lay in this bed i'd rather lay on this couch than do anything mm-hmm. and it was punk it was the music it was the people it was the shows like dude the past year and a half of not being able to like enjoy the feeling of like live music with other people and being able to now do it like safely again yeah i cannot begin to describe to you how that feels to me Mm. like it is such an honor that these bands are like taking the precaution especially right now like shit is so crazy like taking the precautions and making the time and doing the extra effort to make sure they're able to go out on the road and to play in front of these people that have been waiting for a year and a half to see them yeah and it's awesome like it's amazing yeah so um it's like a homecoming in a sense yeah you know? truly like the turnstile i told you was my first show back post-covid and i didn't even honestly i had such a good time i didn't even notice half the time that i was wearing a mask i didn't notice like half the time like or even think about it that like the people i'm surrounded with are wearing masks it's just like the energy in the room right just took over mm-hmm. and once the head banging started it was just like I was so happy, you know, and, and I was standing around people that, um, that are friends and just mm-hmm. feeling that kind of communal aspect, you know, that for me is more of a, like, man, I hate this word, but I'm going to have to say it, but it's like, this is my tribe kind of thing. Dude, like these you, are, you felt alive for the first time in a really long time, a really long time. And that's not to say that I haven't had some great experiences this year. Oh, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Still, like it, it kind of went back to like you have those flashbacks of that first show or that first time you get, you get kicked in the head and you didn't even care because you're just like having the time of your life exactly um it's like i'll wash the clothes when i get home this is fucking awesome yeah yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things I, I for sure want to make sure that i don't forget to ask you're also into cooking yeah like absolutely. I am. and i don't know like i i don't know how much you do in the home or if it's on the regular if like How'd you get into that? Oh, man. So um, I originally went to school for psychology and early childhood education. Okay. I got about three quarters of the way through it. I realized like I enjoyed it, but I wasn't like really getting what I wanted out of it, you know? And right around that same time was when the band I was playing in really began to like take off Mm. and began to tour and get little indie deals and like go record more. Um, and that's when like the first Vera record happened and I'd always cooked at home, you know, my 
grandma's like an old, was an old school style like southern cook but like as soon as i will like pull a stool up and help her like i was helping in some regard what's what's old school southern cook oh i mean take us back to that kitchen what would you see what would you find that kitchen had it had a pressure cooker that would have green beans in it probably ham hock (laughs) um there were definitely steaks on the grill there was like Mm. brown rice pilaf um there was cornbread there's fried chicken like you name it like she was a fantastic cook Uh. i just remember like the the end all be all was on birthdays she would go well what do you want and you would rattle off whatever the fuck it was mm-hmm. it would be like these little biscuits where she would put like pork and beans in the middle yeah. and cover it with cheese and bake them yep. so they're like a little pork and bean like cupcake wow she would cook like that but then she would make fried chicken and then she would make like shish kebabs and she would do all of it for your birthday so you just had like whatever you wanted in front of you it's amazing you know um and it was cool too because she always kind of dabbled like, I was super fortunate to grow up with a lot of people who were really into food. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to this really awesome, I want to say it's like a Pan-Asian restaurant. I don't want to call it a Chinese or, you know, Taiwanese because I don't remember. Sure. Um, but I remember this server, Mina, that became friends with my grandparents. She used to pick me up. And this is when I was like little, little, like maybe one or two. And she put me on her hip and I would go back in the kitchen. I see all the cooks on the walks and I see all the wow. cooks on the fryers. Yeah. And it was just so fucking cool. And it was fire and danger and knives. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I thought it was like the coolest fucking thing. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of like where it all began. Just a general love for like good food. And, you know, then so I got older, you know, exploring downtown, you learn about local spots and you get to like kind of refine your palate past like the home cooking and maybe like the fast food or like cheney stuff. I'm sure like, you have family members that are guilty of like, well, we're going out tonight. And it's like Applebee's, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, so like that was like kind of celebration dinners sometimes. Right. But most of the time, like grandma was cooking. Yeah. After I dropped out of college and started kind of playing more in bands, like it was easy to get jobs as a cook in between, or like you'd be able to cook on the road with your, with your band and like, you know, make spaghetti or you make burgers and you're in a parking lot, some random fucking truck stop somewhere. Yeah. So you some people are good at it and some people want to go for it. And other people like, you know, it's divisional labor. So I gotten really into that. And when I got back home and really need to find a job again, I started working like quick service shops, like making sandwiches, slicing deli meat, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I really, really loved it. I really dug like the pace of it. It felt like a show. Mm-hmm. Like when you get to a show and you as a drummer or me as a guitar player and you're, uncoiling your cables and you're putting your cymbals on stands and you're making sure your stick bags on your yep. on your tom and like making sure all my shit's tuned and like my amp is on and all right cool we're good to go yeah that's kind of like your prep work right yeah and then the show starts and for better or for worse you have to do the service mm-hmm. you have to play the show mm-hmm. um so broken sticks broken strings um the oven goes out you burn a thing that you didn't need to burn. You drop something on the floor that like needed to go out five minutes ago. Like that stuff, it happens, you know, yeah. and you have to make it again. And I just really got excited by that. So I went to a two-year technical school back in Georgia um, where I was really fortunate to have some awesome like Johnny Wells trained like chefs that worked there. Okay, who's um, Johnny Wells? Um, so Johnson Wells is like, basically like one of the big culinary schools it's kind of like if you went to berkeley you know oh wow yeah so it's like johnny wells or like cordon bleu like these are the places that a lot of people go to train to be like chef with the hat Mm. i was really fortunate to get you know all those chops as far as school goes but 
just like with play music you can read tablature you know you can read the music you can read the drum chart but until you're in it yep it's not the same yeah so i was i was able to kind of like transition from that to working in a couple of places in augusta just locally um that were really really fun super fast paced i ended up in um this tex-mex spot called nacho mamas which has one like best of every single year they've been open i think they're celebrating 20 years this year wow yeah they're phenomenal um their slogan is the only thing fried here are the cooks <laughs> and you great. better fucking believe it yeah. <laughs> i do it was it was awesome you've was, already taken me back to all my kitchen experiences like from being a server to a food runner dude truly like, but bus boy was the very first job that i ever had at mm-hmm. 14 years old that's how i saved money to go to my first music festival and travel hell like, yeah away from home you know and what uh what festival was it cornerstone hey 2000 bushnell illinois bushnell illinois i played a couple of those yeah those were fun yeah it was it was before 2000 was before they had a gate and before they had a catwalk on the main stage and it was the last year that they didn't have a catwalk because uh someone during the pod show got crushed and they had no. to make sure the ambulance could come in. They had to have all like, however many people it was like ten thousand people in this like amphitheater, like natural amphitheater. Because that's down in the bowl. Yeah, oh, they man. had to have everyone stay put, so that way they could ensure the ambulance would be able to get to this person and take them out. So stressful. Yeah. Oh so. my god. But bus boy. Then you know, after living in Germany, I also served in food ran, and I loved running food mm-hmm. like favorite job top three favorite jobs i've ever had that's awesome because you get the best of both worlds mm-hmm. i was working in a in a southern style like creole meets savannah style kind of restaurant dude hell yeah we always had to wear white dress shirts with black dress pants and working in the kitchen it's like you get to work with the the cooks and they're like pirates they're cracking jokes like they don't stop they're fried you know <laughs> and then the owner was always the person who was, you know, checking the temps on the meats and keeping things going. And it was a like an honor that I got to run or like run his food for like probably at that point I was doing it for six months to mm-hmm. where after a certain amount of time I got to take over his spot when he would leave for the night. Oh, you know what I mean? And you would run expo. Yeah. So I was like expoing, I was garnishing, I was cleaning the plates. So I wasn't just like going out in front of the people. Like I'm the one telling the guy who's sauteing like, Hey man, like we've already got everything up for this table. You know, it's five dishes for a five top or for a six top. Like we need that six dish. Like where's your Mac and cheese or whatever it was. I loved it, you know, and then you get to go out to the tables and present all the food to whoever's waiting for it's it. It's such a blast, and right? You go right back to the craziness in the kitchen. Well, and it's such like, it's, um, it's like a really fucking personal relationship, dude. Like, yeah. people are trusting you with, like, the food they put in their body. Like, they're, they could have stayed home. They could have cooked at home. Mm-hmm. Like, they're trusting you with their night out you know, for better or for worse or however they want to take it. Like some people just want to fucking be whatever. Yeah. But like, I think like that's like a true love language. And I think it's such a personal relationship that when people execute it poorly, Oh man, it makes me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> such a bummer. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, it, you kind of see it in the coffee shop now, right? Like 
everyone puts out their best all the time, right? Because mm. like if you go out somewhere, like you don't want to get shitty coffee or you don't want to have like a bad meal. So as a cook or as, you know, as a barista or whatever you want to insert there, like why would you do that to anyone else? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I really feel like that's a huge part of it that people don't think about is, you know, that's a very personal relationship when you're yeah. making stuff that is going in someone else's body. Yeah. And I think that's why like kitchen culture was really, really great. And I had a really great time with it, but I just like, I burned myself out. Yeah. You know, and it's I, easy to do. Well, and you know, there's, there's always a little bit of this and a little bit of that around and mm-hmm. the 12 at night becomes the 3 a.m. to mm-hmm. the 5 a.m. to the, you wake up at 1.30 in the afternoon for the 3 p.m. shift. Yep. You do it all over again. Yep. And you know, it was, it was definitely like, it was a really fun, but really dangerous time yeah. for me. And I think that's where like the coffee thing started mm. It's like, it kind of kept me honest. It was like, well, I got to be up at six in the morning. Like, <laughs> I don't really have a choice with this. Like, I'm really going to hate myself hungover. So, yeah, let's do this. So, I had been in a relationship where I was kind of putting around and was living in Savannah and was working some like bullshit retail jobs. And um, we moved to Atlanta where I started working for Octane Coffee. They later got bought out by another company, um, but they were kind of the OG of like the gourmet third wave thing in Atlanta. Okay. Um, and I'd worked coffee shop jobs before, kind of doing like little sandwiches and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, I worked with this amazing chef, Julia Snyder, um, at Octane. She was the kitchen manager. She did all the food programming. And I was really fortunate enough to work with her and a couple of other really great guys. Paul Weston is another dude. Um, he's a phenomenal pastry chef that worked there for a little bit. Hmm. Um, both of them were still in Atlanta, um, kind of doing really cool stuff and kind of like doing their own thing and like just crushing. Yeah. Like Julia and Paul are their, their top people. Cool. But yeah, doing the food for that and getting into the coffee aspect of that. And then when I moved here working for you know, a local chain doing food stuff and a very little bit of the coffee stuff. And I kind of gotten burned out on the food. You know, I got to the point where I was working this gig where I felt like the, the things I'm trying to be really smart here because I know <laughs> people going to be listening. Yeah. I got to the point where I don't think that the progression, the ideals and what needed to happen to really move forward with the programming that I was doing mm. for this particular place was really going to happen. You know, and I kind of like, once again, kind of scraping bottom and was just so bummed all the time and just like working to work. And when I wasn't at work, I was drinking. And if I wasn't drinking, I was in bed. Mm. And one day I just woke up and went, I just like, I can't do it anymore. Can't do it. Yeah. So it had its shelf life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> These beans are a little stale. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's true. Like so many jobs have that shelf life and, and you know, you can have a hundred people in line telling you this is not good for you. But until you come to your own terms about it, like that's when change really takes place. Oh, absolutely. For someone as stubborn as me, that's what it takes is becoming my own realization. Like I'm actually miserable. What am I going to do oh, about this? Agreed, man. Or, or you do think of like, well, if I just stick it out until, you know, insert the date here like it'll get better or you know if this happens it'll change and i think that like in that scenario i learned a lot of what to do and what not to do Hmm. which i brought along with me to where i am now where i general manage of three brothers because it's like you know i always wanted it to be 
community and customer focused, but I always wanted it to be about the baristas and I wanted their opinion to matter and I wanted them to have a space where they could be themselves and create art and create culture. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes like that goes swimmingly and you have amazing days and other days it falls to fucking deaf ears. And I think that's just like, that's part of the gig. Like not every day is, you know, the best show, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's just one of those things of like coffee is one of those really fun things you get to do that you get to nerd out about and people come back to it. It has this like this neighborhood feel where, yeah, I mean, we're sitting right here having this conversation because of coffee, yeah, which is, which is sick. Like, I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I think that I've met some of my favorite people through doing it, you know, and I've worked with some of my favorite people through the coffee industry um, and through the food industry. Like it's a grind. And I think that a lot of people who do it are, underappreciated i think a lot of people who do it could get a lot more bang for their buck if you know they had the backing behind it Mm -hmm. um and i hope that that happens for everyone out there like doing their thing on the grind yeah pun intended yeah (laughs) (laughs) so were you were you with three brothers when it opened or did you come along after the fact so actually i um I responded to a Craigslist ad. I think I was sitting in this room, uh, sitting where we're sitting right now. Wow. And um, I yelled out to Amanda. I was like, there's a barista gig like on Craigslist. And she went, you haven't done it in a while. You love that. Yeah. And I just showed up kind of thinking like I was going to work part time and maybe do something else. Maybe I'd go bartend or cook somewhere mm-hmm. um, and quickly just like really clicked with the people who own the shop and the general manager before me. Um, and her and I had a really awesome rapport and we had our lumps along the way and we had to learn, you know, mm-hmm. each other's language. But man, it was just one of those things of like, this is where I belong. And I always make the joke to like any of the guys who own it that, you know, take care of us. I was telling them, you know, I'll be here as long as you'll have me. Mm. So, and yeah, there are hard days, but they're really amazing days. Yeah. And the fact that you, especially after the past year and a half of like, completely shutting a shop down and firing every employee and standing in it by yourself and going, what the fuck do I do now? Mm -hmm. Like truly like, what do I do? Yeah. There's been times where I've walked in or there was one time I walked in and you was like, Hey, what's up, man? You're like, Oh, you know, just playing the COVID game. (laughs) It's like restructuring the whole room to make sure that everything's. Yeah. And it's like safe. And it's like, you know, and it changed every day. It changed every day. And like, it's just really like, it's so hard because like I want to be empathetic and I want to take care of like my customers. And I want to take care of my guests. Like, and I want to take care of my staff, mm-hmm. but like you just have to like roll with it. Like we were talking about earlier, you really yeah. just have to like, just go for it. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but like just thinking about it and being very, very grateful for knowing that there's coffee feels a lot like the punk scene, like in that yeah. way where it kind of brings all these like bizarros and like really wild people and like super nerdy people about food science, like into like one ring together, you know? Um, and I think that's why we have such a fun time when we do like those latte art, like mm. throwdowns and competitions. It's because everyone from every shop shows up and they hang out, Yeah, you know? And it's just kind of like a, you know, we don't care. Come and hang out. Like here's a beer. Like, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know if you need anything. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Is like, I think that's where, like, punk and hardcore and the music scene will always be hugely prevalent. 
and will always be part of who I am. And like moving forward will still be, and I'll meet more people doing that. But also like the coffee scene has brought me so much joy and like mm. so many good folks out of it. So, and I like, I can't express that enough. Like there's some, yeah, coffee sick. <laughs> <laughs> and what year did you start at Three Brothers? Oh man. How many so years the stop just had is six year anniversary. Mm. So probably like six and a half years. Okay. So total like with, you know, doing food programming for, for coffee shops and other barista stuff, I've probably been doing it off and on for 12 years, mm. maybe a little bit longer now. So first coffee job was actually in Augusta at this place called Mocha Delight. And it was like, you know, the Frappuccino like smoothie type place. Yeah. But it was cool because it was two doors down from the Capri Cinema. Ooh. So I could get off work and go to a show. Yeah. You know? <laughs> also, it's kind of showing you how like modular our downtown was. <laughs> it was like I could work and just walk to all the places yeah, I went to. I've, I've, yeah, that's my hometown. <laughs> and how did, uh, how'd you meet Amanda? So I met Amanda. I'm trying to think the very first time I met Amanda. I was at a girlfriend's prom. I was her date. It was her senior year. I was probably a year out of school. So this is probably like 2005. Mm -hmm. Amanda was there. She was someone else's date. But we decided we were going to hang out with each other for the whole night instead of our dates. Yeah. So we ended up having some college classes together. We hung out and like ended up dating for a while and pretty much like your stereotypical band dude shenanigans like i have a lot of making up to do i'll put it that way <laughs> i've not always been the best of people mm. um and i have a lot of things that i'm not proud of i don't regret them because it's led me here mm. and to the opinions and like the beliefs that i have and what i know that what is important to me now after a few years together Things transpired and we split up. Of course, my fault, 100%. But we were able to remain friends. And we had long relationships with other people. We remained best friends. And I think we just kind of like, it coalesced to this point where two of us, the two of us were in a spot where we didn't really know what we were looking for. And we had been in these relationships and talked about being engaged and being engaged. And they just had ended very like, poorly mm. so i was living in atlanta and i got this call from amanda and it was like hey i heard like you know you and your gal aren't together anymore and i heard you're not doing great and i said you know i'm like i'm making it like i'm it's rough but like i'm, I'm making it years ago well i'm driving through atlanta she was living up here she had moved back here to go to school um she went to mtsu for her bachelor's and um, she's like, you know, I'm driving through, driving through Atlanta. So how about I, um, I stop and we get coffee or something. Mm. So coffee turned into like the whole night of talking and multiple coffees. She goes, well, let me go home. I got this birthday party thing to do in Augusta. And like, then I'll come back. So she came back. We kind of had our, a little date weekend. Stay the night. And we both went, you know what? This was always a woulda, coulda, shoulda. What happens if it doesn't work? It doesn't work again. No big deal. Mm. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's truly is like, you know, when you find your ride or die, when you find your person, I think that that's like... So great. It's end all be all. Like, yeah. the, the level of respect 
in the relationship that I have is truly something that I can't manufacture. I can't read it in a book. I can't talk it out with someone. Like there's no cure all for it. Mm. You know, like it is something that like through growing up together and growing up in a, in a punk scene together, which is very volatile and then growing in parallel together and then getting to now like feed each other and water each other mentally, Mm. you know, and just take care of each other in that regard. is so awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, I know that sounds cornball, but that's, 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 I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Yeah, not at all. And, and I love that you said that, like, it doesn't feel manufactured, you know? Right. Well, I feel like a lot of times, like, you know, people can find relationships that are great. They can find people that they really jive with. But when you really get down to it on like a level of like compromise, like you got to be a fucking team, bro. Like that's hard. It is, you know, and sometimes you have to argue and sometimes like sometimes you have to have a hard discussion and just be really real with someone, but also like not disrespect or not recognize the other person's feelings. You know, I think you can do that with any relationship, but especially like in your marriage or like, you know, um, and really, really close, like, buddies or girlfriends or you know insert whatever here Mm -hmm. i think that you can have conversations like that but you have to know how to have them and i think you have to have the maturity to have them um and i think some people like aren't ready for it or they have their own shit they're dealing with yeah and that's okay too you know um but i think coming to it and being honest about it and being earnest and like having humility like that's what makes it work you know like sometimes like they need you more than you need them or vice versa. Like there's some days where I just like, I can't, like I can't maintain, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's there for me, you know, and there are other days where like, she just gets rolled by like a day at the office Mm. and I'm there for her. You know, that's just like, I think really important and a good dynamic to have in a relationship that's healthy. Yeah. So how did you, uh, how did you learn to have those conversations? Like, was that something you saw in friends or family picked up on or was it, Something you learned from her? Mm, I think it's just, it, it started with being very brutally honest with each other. And I okay. think a lot of it, especially when we were younger, had a lot to do with arguing, you know, or like play arguing. Hmm. We used to actually get like a lot of friends on a lot of trouble because we would have these big like teetotal, like knockout, drag out fights, like with each other in front of other people, you know, and it would kind of like give permission to to other people to do that but for us it was like cool we've had the conversation we had the blow up and now like everything's cool like we're square and i think now it's just a matter of like you learn to recognize what someone needs or like you know to have an expectation like i think there's a good thing to having some comfortability in a relationship you know Mm -hmm. like i don't think that has to be something where it's like oh well comfortability means like you know it's stagnant like you know you're not doing anything like i think it has to do with like reading the room you know Mm. and i think like just learning to take care of each other and knowing what each other need and like what are stressors or things that you can talk about and what you can discuss and knowing like big thing is like planning planning is a big fucking one yeah like for example you never want to do like a hey we're gonna go do this right now Mm. like a little bit of a plan goes a long way i think like the more you communicate in a relationship about everything yeah like you're going to have a good time. Like that's, that's kind of like, you know, she's my best fucking friend, dude. Yeah. Like I talked to her about everything. Mm-hmm. So, 
And I think that like having that and like knowing how to respect that in each other is where you learn to have those conversations. And it took time. Like over the 15 plus years, 15, maybe 16 now. We're about to have an anniversary too. I can't tell you what day it is. <laughs> I think it's it's six or seven years. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, but all I know is that, you know, I'm with her and I love her and I'm not going anywhere. Mm. So what do I need to do to be a better person? What do I need to do to be the best me I can be for her? You know, what can I do to bring out the best in her? Like be her fucking hype man. Mm. You know, like I want to do that. You know, like I adore my wife. She's my favorite person in the world. Like, and she's probably my biggest cheerleader. And when I'm bummed, she's there for me. When I'm stoked, she's more stoked for me and vice versa. Mm. And I think that's like, yeah, it's one of those things, like I said, it's like when you find your person, you just, you know it. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, dude. I'm happy to hear that. Thanks, man. Yeah. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, like it's, it's so easy to talk about the negative, you know, but like to hear that, like that was all positive. And even if there was hard work, you know, involved, like you've, you're at a point right now where you're yeah. seeing the benefit of that. And oh, and man, we've had Clark, we've had a tough fucking year, dude. Like yeah. we've had a lot of loss and a lot of like, hurt come our way and a lot of stuff that like as families we're dealing with and as a couple we're dealing with mm. but i would not do it with anyone else and i wouldn't take any of it back so it's one of those things like you, you got to be in the same corner man like i mm. think sometimes like people get in the like in the way with their own shit you know i think that's like that's a that's a hard thing to let go of mm. so um i do remember one of the first times she <laughs> Uh, she had come to see us play. It was like a Vera show, I think. And we weren't dating yet, but she was there at the show to see the band play. And I scribbled like, will you marry me on the back of my guitar? Like, Amanda, <laughs> will you marry me? And like, you know, silly shit, like threw my guitar up in the air. And it was like, oh, like, oh, he's kind of cute. Like, I like that yeah. guy. <laughs> um, so when I proposed to her, I played a set at that same venue. And to propose to her, I wrote the same shit on my guitar again oh that's awesome yeah so um which is super fun it's somewhere in the house we like took the tape off the back of the guitar and put it on paper so we could save it um but yeah it's just stuff like that and just like kind of like yeah i could i could gush on and on about this stuff so <laughs> that's good that's good not Thanks, a lot man. of people have that we've sought out like help in different regards and whether that be you know through family stability or looking into like counseling ourselves mm -hmm. but we've never done like couples but i think it's because like we've both gotten to the point where like we've become so like in tune with the fact that like hey what does this happen i'm gonna like spill this to you and i know this is gonna take like an hour and a half mm -hmm. but let's go for it like yeah. let's let's have this rumble as miss Brene brown would say yeah yeah <laughs> um let's have this rumble love her um dude she's great man yeah. like she can have as many like eat, pray, love signs and, you know, white women's <laughs> kitchens. And like, she's great. Like at the end of the day, like what you pick up from like what she's writing and what she's speaking, like it makes perfect sense. Sure. Um, but yeah, just having that self-awareness to kind of search through how are you feeling and why you're feeling it and kind of disassemble that for someone and like disarm that, like that, like frustration. 
I think is a, a really big part of it. It's like mm-hmm. me just learning, like, like you said, like what triggers me, what am I like most frustrated by? And when is like my temper going to be like, yeah. I'm getting hot. Well, you know? and, and then the other side is like, what are you excited about? Because what I'm excited right. about, I'm going to set up an expectation about like, you know, uh, how the birthday should go or how like getting to this event, mm-hmm. you know, or going on vacation. And do you, do you feel like you have high expectation and then you get bummed when that's not met sometimes? I feel like for me, I'm learning that I need to communicate in the way that works best for her. Mm-hmm. And I have to kind of come under that, the way that I perceive and communicate and see the plan is in the way she's going to perceive it. Oh, totally. You know, and like just because it's up here doesn't mean she knows what's going on. Oh, for sure. So I get bummed when I realize, oh, that was my opportunity to do that thing that I've been practicing in other areas. Right. And then I just set us both up for frustration. (laughs) It happens, man. Yeah, and I'm that's like something I'm learning not just in, you know, my personal life, but like that's something that I'm learning in business and um working with clients or mm-hmm. you know, just even my day job that I have, like making sure that I'm communicating what I need, communicating what uh expectations I have about the day or the event. And if I if I because if I don't then all of a sudden I just, I'm, I like steamroll ahead. And then I'm looking back like, why are you on board with this? And everyone else is kind of like, because you're not saying Dude, what's and then, uh... and then I'm rolling around on the floor going, they'll all understand I'm a fucking genius one yeah, day. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's like how, how did I get here? Like, you know, if I had just been maybe a little bit more clear of my intention or like a little bit more like if I just communicated it, yeah. you know? And like you said, it has to do with painting that picture of done where it's like, you know, in your relationship and your, you know, your personal and professional ones, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't communicate appropriately, then of course there's, there's going to be error, you know? And as someone like who runs a, like a, I'd like to call it pretty successful, like coffee shop here in Nashville where Definitely. there's a million coffee shops, like communication with staff and each other, like that's really important mm-hmm. on a professional end. And in your relationships, like I'm actually struggling that with friendships because like, I don't want to be the guy that hurt feelings because I have like real emo boy friends <laughs> that I'm also in my feels all the time. Yeah. So yeah, it's like when you have sensitive people, like you kind of have to approach it a little bit differently, which sometimes like that just takes some patience. Yeah. And remembering that like part of the situation is that I too am sensitive. Exactly. You yeah. Know? And like remembering like, oh, like maybe, maybe it is me. Maybe I'm the one who's being overly sensitive about the fact that they're sensitive. <laughs> I asked that guy how he was doing it. He said, small black coffee. Right. And it really hurt my feelings. It ruined my whole like, fucking day. <laughs> can't he like take a second to conversate with me? Right. Who is he? Yeah. And it really depends. Like some days I'm like, I'm really into just being like, oh, I can't believe it didn't say hi to me. And then other days I'm like, that's great. But how are you today? Mm. You know? Because like I think the people do get like they caught in the they get caught in the routine and they get caught in their own shit sometimes and they get caught in the grind yeah and like it's a lot it's a lot that people have to like deal with on a day to day basis mm-hmm. you know um, especially people who are doing like a true blue like nine to five grind in some regard like some of those people 
they just seem like yeah they're just they're just going for it you know yeah respect but uh, it's not for me yeah so yeah it's difficult kind of working a similar nine to five thing like it's it every day that i get up and go do that job there's still that punk rock voice inside of me just going like really you can do one more day you sure about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) are you still you (laughs) it's like absolutely i'm still me like um so yeah i definitely live with that kind of right brain left brain kind of feeling of like working in a corporate world, but also being myself as an individual. To your point, legit was walking into the gym yesterday morning. It was pouring down rain. And one of the trainers who works at the gym came down to check on her windows, her car windows to make sure that they weren't rolled down. Right. Like she startled me because I'm like looking down, making sure I've got everything in my pockets dry as I'm walking into the gym and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? And she's like, oh, I'm just checking on my windows, you know, to make sure they don't roll down. I didn't have coffee. And I too, like, so I, I used to be a barista as well. Right. And so I've, I've been on the other side of the counter. And over the last few years, I've just caught myself in these moments of where I'm like, oh, I haven't had my coffee yet. Oh, I haven't like, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Like, you know better. Because as soon as I looked, at, like she said that I was like, oh yeah, that'd be important. And then I walked on and then like five minutes later, I was like, what the fuck did you just say to her? <laughs> like, that would be important. Like, like, are you her dad? Like, <laughs> Clark, you smart ass. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then I'm trying to justify, I'm like, oh, you know, I haven't counted. Uh, she doesn't. And it's like, she doesn't know you, dude. Like, that was a moment just to be a human yeah. and be like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's, you know, because I, I guess like there's that other side of me that's like, don't just do the small talk. People, some people don't like small talk, but like, Mm-hmm. You know, regardless, like just meet people where they are, yeah, and just just try a little yeah. bit harder. But I think it's also important to know, like you know, that's the folly of human error. And like sometimes we say stuff we don't mean, or like we're snippy, and like you can't you can't like dwell on it. You can't live with it. You know, yeah, just got to be like, ah, I said it. You know, like that was maybe probably not the best thing to say right there. But yeah. Yeah, like, what can you do about it, you know? Past is the past. It's not going to change. Yeah. So, again, changing opinion, rectifying it for next time, yep. learning from a mistake. But I definitely, like, to your point, I definitely have caught myself a couple times, like, just, just wait, like, start that after I'm done with my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> with that, I'll say, you know, thanks for having me in your home. Thanks for coming on. And thank you for the million times you've served me coffee when I've been a crank. <laughs> dude, you've never been a crank. This is a pleasure. I'm a crank. <laughs> well, and uh, dude, I gotta, I gotta just say like you like just tossing yourself into this again, like shoulder to the wheel and like doing it and enjoying doing it and holding yourself accountable for having conversation and like getting yourself where you want to be is like, that's big league shit. And thank you for having me be a part of it. Cool. So, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I was stoked. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Yes. Oh my goodness. What a guy. What a guy. I'm so glad you got to hear that. Aren't you? Colin Callahan, everyone. Hey, I hope, and I meant it earlier, and I mean it now, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Feel free to write to me at clockworknightspodcast at gmail.com. I'll, uh, I'll be back, right? 
I don't know what the groove of this podcast is yet, but I can tell you we'll be back next week with an all-new guest, and I'm very excited for you to hear that conversation, too. We'll figure it out as we go, so just hang in there with me as I figure it out. All right. You guys have a good rest of your week. Bye.